Hello. Choose Trust is our regular podcast looking at how to build high trust relationships in business and the value that brings to everyone involved. I'm Stuart Meister, and together with my co-presenter Kevin Vaughan-Smith, we're writing a book for Economist Books with the same name, Choose Trust. So, we thought we'd meet and interview leaders who put some of these principles into practice and hear their real-world experiences of doing so and the value that brought. I hope you enjoy this episode, and if you do, please subscribe and, of course, please do share it. I'm Stuart Meister, Joint Managing Director of Mutual Value. My colleague Kevin is taking a well-earned holiday, so it's just me, and welcome to our Choose Trust podcast. Now, this is a really special edition today, because with me is someone who not only knows all about trust, but he, like us in Mutual Value, has it in his job title. It's a central part of what he does with clients. Michael Bondar is the Enterprise Trust Leader at Deloitte, based in the US, but covering the globe. By way of background, he knows all about the need for trust. He was born in the Ukraine, but moved to the US as a small child. And so his parents both had to trust this entire new country. They could build a different life there. But he had to both build and extend trust in a totally new place. So I think that's a really interesting area for us to discuss in this context. But professionally, uh, Michael started life as a technical specialist, as a computer science graduate. But over 20 years with Deloitte, he steadily become a a senior consultant and an innovation leader. And now, as I say, focusing entirely on the issue of trust. Michael, welcome to the Choose Trust podcast. Stuart, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, look, can we start before we get into the professional stuff? Do you mind just taking us back to you aged, I believe, 12? and coming to a new country in the context of building, maintaining trust, being trusting, being trusted, how does that play into that experience or how does that experience play into, into your perspective on this? Yeah. You know, obviously as a little child, this is not necessarily a top of mind thing. You're not quite sure what it is you're having to engender and what it is you have to develop, but being being that age and traversing the globe to a new country, new language, new culture, uh, the first thing is just trusting my parents and the fact that they know what they're doing, bringing my sister and I to an entirely new part of the world. The second part is coming in and trying to establish relationships, being that foreign kid, being that one with an accent, being that one that doesn't know the pop culture or a simple factoids like who's Babe Ruth. Um, that puts you in a bit of a disadvantage and kids can be cruel. Kids can be mean. Kids can be bullies and finding that connection, finding that safe place is just part of what you have to do every day. And I think now looking back on it, I can see why this role, why I feel so strongly about leading this work for Deloitte, because really it's been part of my DNA since the very beginning, Uh, finding people in um, in whom I can place my trust, but then also ensuring that it's a bi-directional relationship and that I could be a trusted friend, colleague, advisor, consultant to our clients. Well, let's deal with the why. What if, if you, what, why 
invest time, money, effort in this specific area of trust, which, as you say, has always underpinned business, but is now seen as something that I need to deliberately, intentionally create. What advantage does that give me if I do that? Well, I think it begins with understanding the state of trust today. And the initial step in this process has to be evaluating where we are and where we are is not a good place. Across industries, across sectors, all over the globe, we see trust being among the top business issues, but most importantly, because it is waning. When we look at technology, media, and telco, less than 40% of customers trust technology brands to display competence and positive intent. Less than 40% of citizens trust their national government. 48% of consumers do not trust banks to help manage consumer finances during a recession. Only 10% of customers trust their current utility supplier. And 22% say their loyalty has declined. Within consumer, only 34% of consumers trust most of the brands they buy or use. And 81% view trust as a deciding factor. So when you recognize the fractures and trust across industries, I think that's the first part of the story that not only is trust important, but it has been declining. And we are kind of at a critical juncture in terms of levels of trust across industries and sectors. That's first. I think the second part is there is a recognition by leaders, by executives, and acknowledgement on the importance of this critical topic. 94% of global boards believe that building trust is very important to critical for their organization's performance. 83% of board members believe action is needed on this topic and urgently within the next six months. So you have low levels of trust, you have an acknowledgement of the importance of this issue, and yet you have only 14% of companies who have a way to evaluate, to track stakeholder trust. So there's this huge dichotomy between, yes, we recognize it's important, and yet, you know, not enough is being done on the topic. I think all of this is further crystallized by the fact that trust ultimately, if acted upon proactively, has a significant potential and power to drive organizational performance through a variety of angles. Uh, customer loyalty, 88% of customers buy again from a brand they trust. Nearly 80% of employees feel motivated to work for a trusted employer. Financial performance is another key factor where highly trusted companies outperform low trust companies by up to four times. So now when you consider this multi-part story, trust is waning, trust is low, trust is acknowledged as a critical business issue, not enough is being done, but if enough was being done, you could see the tremendous impact that trust could have for an organization. And I think this is the, the period of time we're in where it, 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 this is the right time to action this critical topic without waiting for a crisis to take place. I was at a party yesterday sitting with some people and fundamentally they are cynical about everything, about the government, about companies they do business with, about capitalism, about, you know, in other words, they, they, there's the whole discussion about the Great Reset that people talk about. You know, there's an amazing number of conspiracy theories around um, and there is 
there is a lot of just cynicism at every institution that people face. And I suspect all the businesses and organizations and public organizations you're dealing with have that interest in common in a way that there needs to be a, a, a widespread building of trust in the institutions of our of our countries, including the major businesses that are so important to those countries. And uh, that make that for all the reasons you said earlier, and I think that makes this such a central issue, don't you? I completely agree. And I think, you know, first and foremost, those executives that are sitting with us, they're people. And the yeah. the initial reaction from someone when you talk about trust is within their personal lives, that that context is what first comes to mind. And they immediately recognize the importance of it from that lens. And then quickly connect the dots from a business perspective as well. So, yeah, I think that this is a universally recognized topic. I was talking to a CEO um, recently who, who said, you know, we are with trust where we were with risk 25 years ago. Uh, you know, now every organization has got a chief risk officer and nobody thinks about it twice. Um, and now there's sort of this well, wait a second, this is not just about being mindful and really attentive to risks an organization faces. This is about earning trust proactively. That's that's where the business world has evolved to, and uh, we're, we're seeing that evolution in real time. I read that you talk about this now being the trust age in business. What do you mean by that, and what does that look like? When you consider just about every topic, that becomes topic du jour. Uh, right now, it happens to be, let's say, AI, generative AI, trust in AI systems, uh, the ethics of those models and how AI is being used. Um, it's company stance on uh, environmental factors, ESG, sustainability, climate. But every one of those topics, a significant part of mindshare is given to trust. Do you trust in the systems? Do you trust in the reporting? Do you trust in the intent behind the company's actions in the areas of ESG? Uh, when you look at platform safety, do you trust, mis you know, how are you looking at misinformation, disinformation? What are you doing to ensure that your platform is not being used by bad actors for malintentioned means? It's, it's almost like we immediately because, again, I think of all these shocks to our environments, um, we are in a bit of a state of distrust. And no matter what comes up for air, the first reaction is, do I trust it? Do, do, do I place my confidence in whatever that something is? And that really is manifesting itself. Every single thing that that we the business world is processing, trust becomes a key component of it. We see it within Deloitte constantly, um, you know, from cloud transformation to leveraging AI to here's what we're doing for sustainability. All of those components immediately pivot to let's ensure that our stakeholders trust our actions in this area or that we trust what these technologies and systems are doing. So that's really what I mean by this is that this confluence of factors have caused us all and businesses to be really attentive to this notion of trust, no matter what the topic of conversation. And uh, that has been consistent over the last several years. All right. Well, let's talk about the action. 
Um, as you know, the work that, that we do, we focus very much on interpersonal trust, the trust of a leader, of a salesperson, of a, you know, the way people interact. And your focus, I know, is on enterprise trust, organizational trust. So what, what do you do? You, someone says, right, Michael, come in, help us. We've got a problem. We want to outperform our peers by 400%. We want all those figures to go through the roof. We know there's an issue. Where do you start? What do you do? I think the first thing is, let's talk about what is it? Most organizations struggle with this very first step, which is how do you define and contextualize trust for my organization? And, you know, intuitively in our personal lives, going back to that, Stuart, I think most of us understand sort of what it means. I trust my spouse to do the dishes. I trust a mechanic to fix my car. I trust uh, the babysitter to watch my kids. Um, in the business world, Intuition is part of it, certainly, but much more is required. A, a deep understanding, what is trust for my organization? So it begins with that step. Let's contextualize and define trust for our company. Who do we have to build trust with? What is it? Where can it be earned and lost? What are the steps, the actions, the processes, the activities, the programs that are impacting how I am trusted? So and that's I just, I just, I just want to stop you there just for a moment to really understand that stage, if I may, and then we'll move on to the next stages. As I understand what you've just said, it's really this contextualization means well, we're really clear the areas in which we need to be trusted. So we're really specific and clear about the, you know, we can't be trusted on everything. As you say, we're, we're not brain surgeons. We won't be trusted to carry out brain surgery, but we are need to be trusted. Is, is, it, is that what you're saying? We need to be clear where we need to be trusted and why. And with whom? Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's right. it's identifying those key stakeholder groups with whom trust has to be earned, built, repaired, regained, maintained. It's understanding what matters to those stakeholders. Yeah. So defining sort of the key areas within the organization where focus must be paid. And it's determining what are the key levers, actions, steps, and processes that must be driven in order to earn that trust or protect it. Um, so I think it's contextualizing what it is and defining it for your organization. That's part one. Okay, so that, that now we've got that done. What's part two? Well, part two is once you recognize and determine what it is, it's important to acknowledge and determine how are you doing? And this is where evaluating, measuring, quantifying trust becomes important. For most organizations, this is not their core competency. Um, in fact, you know, you're really looking at trust as mainly just an outcome uh, of things as opposed to really being focused on, I wonder where I have gaps. I want to understand where I'm doing really well. I want to continue to amplify those areas. I want to understand where my gaps are and action those immediately and effectively. I think being able to quantify, especially in the business world, is essential. You know, if you think about most organizations, uh, that old adage of you can only manage what you measure, it you know, there is a reason why it's that that saying has been around for so long, because for most organizations, that's critical. This is how you uh, evaluate progress. This is how you um, compensate cert, uh, certain roles within the organization. This is how you're able to make uh, decisions. And unless you have a way to evaluate it, whether that be green, yellow, red, whether that be with a finer degree of precision, but it must be done in order to validate that whatever you're doing is effective or ineffective and where where you have to continue to pay attention. So taking a objective, well-measured, deep, and honest approach to evaluating trust becomes a key component of this process. 
can I just come back to you on that? Because what I love about what you're saying, and it totally resonates with me uh, and with, with mutual value, is this idea that you're very intentional about trust, about being trusted in all these different areas of your business, that it's not something you hope happens if you do your job well, that it becomes a central ambition is to build high levels of trust with the people that matter to you through the work that you do in the way in which you do your work. So that's what I love about what you said. And I, and believe me, it's something it's, it's central to everything we do and central to our book that we're writing. However, what I want to understand a little bit without coming into lots of detail is about this measurement issue. So I know that you've got 17 domains of business, for example, in your, in your trust model. And I just wonder whether you end up just measuring the same stuff that everyone else is measuring in terms of the way we do, you know, secure digital security or the way we perform in particular roles that we need to do or the way we show. In other words, it cuts across everything else that we're doing as well. It's not a separate thing. How do you separate out the trust dimension is what I'm asking to all the other work that we need to do and measure and perform in? Well, a couple of answers to that, to that question. I think number one, uh, it's, as you said, 18 organizational domains, and they range... It's 17, actually. I've got it wrong. It's 18, is it? Sorry. It's 18, yeah. Uh, and, <laughs> okay, get the number right. You were, you, were, you were correct as of a few months ago, and uh, you know our framing is quite dynamic. And so uh, about a year ago is when we identified that supply chain resilience needed to be added to the, to the list, so to say, uh, ba based on the the same the same kind of factors that are top of mind for stakeholders today supply chain resilience that was added to our list of domains uh, making it 18. so 18 domains 90 drivers i would actually argue that a number of those are not at all evaluated today uh areas like culture and purpose diversity equity and inclusion sustainability and climate ethics um your conduct as an organization, strategic governance, authenticity and resilience of your leadership team. Those are some of the examples within our framework, some of the domains. And I would argue that more often than not, these are not quantitatively assessed. I think that's part one. I think part two is even for the areas that you would say, yeah, we evaluate that today. Let's just say workforce experience. We have evaluation measures on that today. Um, I think for us where the difference comes in is the not only are we capturing the basic numbers, sort of the, okay, you know, what are your typical KPIs? We're going to go after those, look at those and, uh, and identify how you're performing. It's a combination of factors that looks at, again, going back to how competent are you, but also what is the perceived competence of your actions? What is the perceived intent behind your actions? And this is the part that's a bit different, where that wide range of stakeholders we talked about today, some of them, to some of them, your actions may be falling on deaf ears. For some of them, they may not be aware that you're taking those actions. For some of them, they may be thinking or misinterpreting the intent behind your actions or not understanding why you're doing certain things. And thus, you're not gaining or earning the trust of those key stakeholders. And so how the evaluation is done becomes critically important. The idea of evaluating that 360-degree view across 
your suite of stakeholders becomes important because, again, this is a very interconnected set of organisms. And so you may be gaining the trust of, of your employees, but guess what? The outside world doesn't quite understand what you're doing from a workforce experience or DEI perspective. And so you're not gaining the trust of your investors. You're not gaining the trust of your prospective employees who don't believe you're taking the steps for the right reasons, let's say in the area of DEI or whatever else it may be. And thus you're not able to earn, earn their trust. So Again, it's a combination of factors. It's looking across the complete list of stakeholders and ensuring that you're taking a 360-degree view. It's capturing not only what are you doing and how effective is it, but also how is it being perceived by all these different groups. And ultimately, it's being able to objectively gauge that. Because for most organizations, Stuart, as you probably know, they do measure themselves in certain areas and they tend to celebrate a one point improvement year over year because their numbers this year improved over the numbers last year without being able to contextualize what are those one point jumps really looking like within the broader business uh, context. How are they looking compared to my competitors, uh, industry sector or leading indicators more broadly, you tend to lose perspective on what is that one point improvement? Is that really good or bad? So hopefully this, again, long-winded answer gives you a bit of a differentiation on why it's so important to measure it in the way that we feel is critical and how it is different than what most companies do with their typical KPIs. Okay. Well, I love about what I love at this perception piece, how it's perceived. This is why uh, our trust model, the, the cornerstone of it is clarity. It's, it's a similar idea. So that if we're not clear about what we're trying to achieve and the ambition and and then how we're going to achieve it then then mis, misalignment of expectations can lead to distrust even if you're everyone's doing a brilliant piece of work with the best intentions it's just exactly right exactly. so so i stopped you at stage so that's two we now we now we so we've we've now um, measured the issues yeah what what do we do about what changes in the real world when you say right we're now involved we're going to really build trust what what give me some examples of what actually changes in the real world as a result of that well i think i think the you know we went step by step so step one was let's define and contextualize it step yeah. two let's evaluate it let's figure out kind of where we are yeah step three is let's figure out what actions have to be taken let's create that roadmap in order to earn, rebuild, protect, engender that trust from our different stakeholders. The task can seem either trivial or overwhelming, depending on sort of what you find as a result of this evaluation. But I think being really intentional and really specific around here are the you know, 20 things that we found we have to go get done. We're going to prioritize them in this way. The prioritization can be done based on your corporate values, based on your strategy, your mission, your objectives, but it's got to be prioritized. You cannot activate 20 different things simultaneously with equal amounts of attention. But so prioritize it. You know, let's give it, let's give it some weight. Let's assign the right individuals to drive this process forward. I think this is part Stuart, where going back to the point you brought up earlier, a chief trust officer becomes an important dimension. Whether or not you have a chief trust officer in an organization, you've got to give these tasks to somebody who is empowered, respected, and has the authority to drive the activities in a very meaningful, very real way within the company. So just like anything else, we have a CIO, we have a chief data officer, we have a chief 
technology officer, we've got a chief financial officer, you've got all these executives that have their areas of focus and expertise. And either they take on some of these priority, trust-based priorities, or you identify you know, another executive, another leader within the organization is going to focus on this topic, working with the others. Um, because even those companies that have a chief trust officer, that individual is not working in silo. These areas, as you've pointed out, they actually touch or live in other in different parts of the organization. So it's a matter of joining forces, collaborating, integrating, and driving action throughout different parts of the enterprise. But the first kind of step in that is let's prioritize and create that roadmap for action. Let's determine who's responsible. Um, and now we have our plan of attack. Okay, I have a real question about that. But before I do it, just give us some examples of what changes, Michael. Give me an example where companies have done this and then something's changed as a result that's built more trust. What, what, let's so, get into real yeah, world. So, so it, here are a couple of examples. And, yeah. and uh, you know, obviously we won't name the companies, no, no. but a few examples of from the very kind of simple to the much more complex and involved. Uh, I had an example of an organization that's made significant investments in the area of innovation. And it was critical for them, uh, especially in the space they were in. They felt like uh, really that digital transformation lens, embedding of cutting edge technology and how they serve their customers was essential. The investments were significant. The business transformation was fairly substantial. And when we performed our evaluation, we noticed that was not the case in the eyes of their stakeholders. Mm. There was a lack of trust in the capabilities and the modernization of that organization, specifically from a kind of innovation, digital transformation, digital engagement standpoints. And the executive was flabbergasted. Like, how could this be? All this investment, all this time, all these steps, and yet nothing has changed. And... The issue for them was about perception because these long-standing opinions of the company uh, were still floating out there, even though they've made some changes, the lack of visibility, the lack of clarity, the change in how the company is being perceived has not yet happened. And so they were still perceived as what they were prior to making all these investments and all these changes. So this company had to go on a crusade of communication, of kind of opening up the kimono, providing that really transparent view into here's how we have changed our business processes. Here's how the models we've implemented. Here's the technology that we're now using. Here's how you working with us is now going to be different. And again, this was a, a bit of an uncomfortable um, activity for that organization, but one that needed to be done. The investments were made. Things were actually changed. There was a lack of clarity, visibility, transparency, and communication, that that was sort of the prohibiting factor in order for them to earn the trust of their different stakeholders. So, you know, relatively simple change there, uh, or relatively simple set of steps uh, that had to be done in order to, especially in this area, to earn their trust of their different stakeholders. In another case, we had an organization that, by all accounts, seemed to be performing really well. And again, kind of going back to the point you mentioned, we have the company was doing well based on its traditional set of KPIs. And all of those key performance indicators were showing green. 
our view was let's be proactive, let's be really intentional, and let's evaluate if there are any trust-related issues that are lurking around the corner that may be invisible, but ones that still need to be acted upon. As we did our evaluation, what we determined is for this organization, they actually had a number of, of issues lurking that they that were hidden by some of their success. Those issues included um, fraudulent websites, peddling counterfeit products, eroding trust in that brand. Now, because their product was in such high demand, that organization couldn't really tell that somebody was you know, stealing their market share to some extent, but also even more importantly, really uh, eroding trust from this wide consumer base that buying this product, I actually don't know if I'm going to get their real product or not. The other set of issues had to do with supply chain related issues where these products were really hard to get um, due to various supply chain challenges. And the public had started to come to the belief that these supply chain challenges were issues that were driven by the organization as a way to artificially drum up demand, which could not have been further from the truth, but yet that was the perception that was growing and growing quite quickly. And then the third issue were product efficacy concerns, but in reality, it had nothing to do with the product. There were concerns about that were coming to air because the product was being misused. And so you had these three trends, these three sets of issues that were slowly eating away at, at the organization, at the trust from the different stakeholders. They were somewhat invisible to that company, again, hidden by the success of everything else that they were experiencing. And so uh, seeing where those points of focus needed to be, that company could then take immediate action to remediate some of those issues through communication, through aggressive action against those fraudulent websites, through publishing clear-cut instructions on what to do and not to do with their products, and so on and so forth. So uh, hopefully those couple of examples give you a view of what that looks like. Yeah, they, they, they indicate something really important to me, which, um, and, you know, I come from a communications background, an ex-journalist, um, and I worked for many years in the area of, of public relations and reputation building. What what the trust angle seems to me to do is it takes reputation, which is obviously a critical part of any organization, but takes this issue of reputation and connects it in a very hardwired way to business activity, business process, business strategy. Uh, and that's that everything you've described to me seems to me to be um, what that does, which people in communications have tried to do for many years and not always successfully. But you've, you've demonstrated that trust, which is essentially about reputation, is a hard, hard business issue, not a soft, fluffy thing. What it's certainly ask, not. Yeah. And, and maybe another example will further crystallize this. We had an organization, uh, which we recently just did this work for. And the key issue that came out was there was a greater expectation, a greater set of expectations on an organization to take definitive demonstrable steps relative to data privacy. And so let's say hardening the defense mechanisms, the posture of that organization relative to the cyber posture, data privacy and protection, information security, that became a key element of what that, that company had to do. Now, to your point, it wasn't just implementing those steps. It wasn't just uh, creating that infrastructure. It was also being highly communicative around these are the steps that we're taking to make sure that's now part of what they're known for. 
Yeah, I yeah, mean, this is why I think, in many ways, the chief communications officer should be uh, the if they if, should be the chief trust officer. In many ways, the chief communications officer should own the reputation of the firm, but they not. They don't tend to have that level that someone saying the outcome of this is trust, and trust is underpins everything we do. And this is this is why I think this elevates that issue of reputation to something that's hardwired into the way you run business. If you, if you get it right. I think, you know, I don't think having um, any executive give up their their role to take on chief trust office role is necessarily the right answer. But I do think that every executive has a role to play in this. Yes. And then, um, you know, and it really starts with the CEO on down. Uh, as we do some of this work, what's really interesting to us is how many executives raise their hand and say, it's actually, you know, my issue from the chief strategy officer to the chief compliance officer to the chief communications officer, um, and certainly the CEO. And we welcome all of those responses because we do believe that every one of those executives does have a meaningful role to play. Um, and, you know, no part of the C-suite is immune or somehow insulated from playing an active role in, in earning trust. No, uh, but let, let me come to that because you, you, you're making a really powerful point that I want to come to. Because when you said earlier about how you um you know you you deliver uh, an outcome for organizations of trust and people need to take responsibility and drive the what's been agreed and, and this concept of the chief trust officers as someone who has a responsibility for trust the reason i'm slightly nervous about that is what you've just said which is it seems to me that if if an organization embraces the value and the importance of what we're discussing here today then it's not something you kind of give to someone to be responsible for. It becomes an Im embedded part of your strategy, one of the uh, one of the one of the pillars of your strategy, actually, and it becomes the way you do things. You you can do nothing that destroys trust. You do everything to build trust, and that becomes central. It's a golden thread that's run through everything that you do. And obviously, working with someone like yourselves, you can make sure that that is true. What do you think about that? This idea that you shouldn't, you can't really separate it out. It becomes a central part of everything that you're doing, if you get this right. Uh, well, I absolutely agree in the sense that it should be a central part of everything you're doing. It should be embedded in your corporate strategy, your values, your objectives, your mission statement. And a lot of companies are doing just that. Mm. Um, I think having a chief trust officer by no means, by no means absolves the other C-suite executives from their responsibility and uh, actioning this topic. But I think the companies that have introduced this role, they've introduced a catalyst, uh, kind of the the straw that stirs that drink, somebody that's constantly and primarily worried about this topic. Now, um, this role initially began within the technology sector with a primary focus on information security, on data privacy, on the cyber posture of the organization. This is what it's been traditionally known for. I think what we're seeing is the evolution of this role to other sectors, other industries, but also the evolution of the scope of this role. Um, and the fact that it's this role is now an integration uh, point of these other functions that are now playing and working alongside the trust office uh, in, in their own individual specific ways. So Introducing this role the, by no means absolves the others from their role to play here. 
And, but I would still look at it as a really positive addition to the C-suite, mainly because now it is not only, we don't just talk about it. There's somebody who is waking up every morning and that is their priority for the company to drive, to, to drive trust and work with the other executives, the other parts of the organization in order to make this a very real thing um, for the company. So I uh, agree with you to an extent, but I, I just, uh, I think it's a very good thing that by that does not insulate the other parts of the organization from from worrying about this topic. Finally, on this, you you run trust as it were within Deloitte. How is this a growing area for you? You finding yourself being pulled into lots of meetings with lots of clients. So what's your experience right now and the the level of appetite in this area amongst uh, Deloitte's amongst the Deloitte client base? Well, it's the best job I've ever had. And I say that without a, a single degree of hesitation. And the, the reason I feel that way is the tremendous interest we have from clients. And that is true across industries. That is true across the globe. That is true um, for any size of organization. What I think is really fascinating about this topic is just how ready executives are to engage in very meaningful ways. You know, a year and a half ago, we launched what we call the Trust Symposium, a way for executives to come together and explore the different things impacting trust in the enterprise. And we wanted to make it a very different event in that it's not focused on any one role in the C-suite, not focused on any one industry. And incredibly, our list of attendees includes executives from the largest brands in the world, and competitors sitting side by side um, and readily, excitedly, and full-on engaging these conversations time and time again illustrates to us just how ready the business world is to make this a very top-of-mind topic in a very real way. Uh, from how do I measure it? How do I evaluate? What sort of steps and actions do I need to be taking? What matters most to to stakeholders of today? Uh, there's a an appetite for the research. There's an appetite for solutions in this space. There's an appetite for how do you how do you set your organization for success on this topic? And that has been incredibly exciting to see. And uh, you know, you mentioned is it growing? Absolutely, the interest is growing. The attention is growing, and What's been really exciting to see is just how you know global and multicultural this issue is in terms of every part of the world. There is now a pull for us to be there. Michael, thank you so much for your time. It's fascinating. I'm sure we could talk for a couple of days on this, but we've we've really had a, a great conversation. I really appreciate your time and and uh, insights. Thank you. Thank you so much, Stuart. Really appreciate your time.